Welcome to episode number 49 of Off the Shelf. Lord, is it possible to get this far and just now understand who you are? I'm feeling foolish yet relieved as well. Cause what I bought before I just can't say. But now my eyes are open wide. If this is wrong. Hi, my name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 138 countries, and we are really glad that you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. This week, we are continuing our interview with Andrew Loza on the subject of the seven church ages. And William Branham, he adds in the messengers, he basically, if you look at Clarence Larkin's writings, it was all plagiarized pretty much every single one of the years from the start to the end of the ages from Clarence Larkin. But William Branham, however, adds messengers, or as he says, in 63, in the breach between the seven churches and seven seals, he says all the messengers were prophets. He even goes on to talk about, in the book of Zechariah 4, in the vision, he says there are seven eyes, meaning seeing means prophets, seers. So William Bram then says, out of there was seven prophets that went forth, seven seers. So he's saying that they must be prophets. But the very next day, Rod, in the first seal, you can look at it yourself, in 63, he says, Show me where one prophet ever started church age. And the reason why I believe he does that, Rod, is because he begins to say that they were baptizing in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost because they were reformers and they weren't prophets. But here's the problem that as message believers you need to look at. He says that they're prophets from the Bible, and if this was given to him by an angel and the light had never shown on the church ages until he was revealed to him by God, an angel— that it should line up, yeah. but it doesn't. From one day to the next, he says that they are prophets, and then they're not. Yeah. And if it's from God and his angel, it's it's pretty confusing. Well, and of course, the Bible doesn't say that they are prophets and they aren't prophets. It, it, it doesn't even comment on the issue. He's just making major assumptions. Now, you mentioned that he basically plagiarized the whole concept from Clarence Larkin, and I, this is one of the big problems that I had. Now, I have heard message preachers point out that William Branham did mention Larkin, but the first time he ever mentioned Larkin was over seven months after preaching the Seven Church Age series, which were, as you indicated, almost totally plagiarized from Larkin. 
And the second time, again, he only mentions it, Larkin, twice. The second time was over six, seven months, was again over seven months after he preached the Seven Seals series, which again were consistently plagiarized from Larkin. Now, we're going to put a link on our article on plagiarism on the off-the-shelf website so you can compare what William Branham said directly with Larkin's books. We are not asking you to believe us. We are simply asking that you look for yourself. And one of the problems with plagiarizing from Larkin is that Larkin gave dates for each of the ages, which William Branham copied almost exactly. I think he changed 1900 to 1906. But Larkin didn't give the names for the messengers. So William Branham did add something to Larkin's work by adding the names of the messengers for each age, but this created some real problems for William Branham, which you only see when you do a bit of digging. Yes, it does, Rod. It creates many problems. Because in 62, it, is this the sign of the ends? He says, all the messengers come out of the end of the age. He says, remember, Paul came at the end of his age. And in 63, in the evening messenger, he says this, God sends the messenger of that age at the end of the time, always at the end, never at the beginning. And then he says, at the end, with an exclamation point. So if we take a look at these messengers or prophets, whatever he decides to call them for that day, there, there, there's several problems because some of them weren't even born in their age. Yeah. Columba, whose age was 606, 1520, he died in 597, which is nine years before his message, his church age message even started. Yeah. Um, the one that was the most troubling for me is Paul. Yeah. So Paul, he's martyred somewhere between 68 and 73 AD. But here's a problem. John wrote the book of Revelations, which has the churches of Asia Minor in them. And that wasn't until 95 AD. So Paul was dead, martyred, before the church ages were even written about. So how could he be the messenger to the Ephesus church age? Yeah, He was dead 20 years before the book of Revelations talks about the church age. It just doesn't make no sense. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bizarre. And, and another problem with the, with the church age doctrine is that it completely destroys the imminent return of Christ until the last age. William Branham taught that his ministry was to restore the doctrines that the church had lost. And I'll put lost in air quotes. Yeah, definitely. But we know from Scripture that the first century church believed in the imminent return of Christ. That it might happen during their lifetime. They expected it. And even William Branham taught that that was true. So the first century Christians believed that Jesus could come at any moment. But if they believed the church age doctrine, how could Christians believe that Jesus could come at any moment when he would not come until the last of the seven representative church age were finished, and that was not until after 1900 sometime, or 1906, to any of you go to Larkin or, or Branham. So the church age doctrine completely destroys the doctrine of the any moment return of Christ prior to 1900, since Christ's return could not have taken place until 1800 years later when the Laodicean church age began. Yes, that's, that's correct. And if you're going to look at the the lives of these messengers and what they taught, what they stood for, 
Irenaeus teaches that the servanty doctrine is a heresy. Yeah. Heresy means from the devil. So John Wesley, he also condemned the serpent seed as well as the Trinitarianism. And it just, I don't know how you you match that up, that we must believe in Satan. Yeah, yeah. And his teachings. Yeah, it's bizarre. And one of the biggest discrepancies for me is when you actually look at how William Branham tried to mesh the messenger with the passage, the specific passage from the book of Revelation. William Branham stated that we're now in the Laodicean church age, and he taught that as early as 1947. So he'd been reading Larkin for a while. Now, when we look around and see the rich state of the North American church, it seems obvious that we're in the Laodicean church age. It certainly did for me when I was in the message. And William Branham talked about Wesley and the missionary movement in England in the 1800s. And that also seems to mesh pretty well with the Philadelphian church age. But then when you look closer, there's other places. And again, this is because of confirmation bias. You don't see them when you're in the message. There's places where they really don't mesh. How does the church in Sardis, which clearly pictures a church in a state of decline, become the picture of the Reformation? doesn't make any sense. And Andrew, as you've already mentioned, how can the message be delivered to the messenger of the church of Ephesus, who was supposed to be Paul, after he's dead and the age is basically over? How does that hold together? It's like you said, Rod, he didn't get the memo. <laughs> exactly, he didn't get the memo. But for me, this really came to home, home um, to me recently. The most obvious flaw is the Laodicean church age. And you say, well, how do you, how do you do that? I thought you said it made sense when you look at the North American church. Yeah, but look outside of North America. If you look where most of the population of the world is, the picture of a rich church in need of nothing no longer holds true. I was just in Budapest a couple of months ago in October at the International Consultation on Church Persecution that was sponsored by the Hungarian government. Did you know that four out of five people globally that are persecuted because of their faith are Christians? Wow. These are my Christian brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters, who continue to be persecuted in Muslim and Hindu-controlled countries, especially in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Former and current communistic states like Russia and China continue to be antagonistic to Christians. And during the development of communism in the 20th century, Christians were massacred wholesale. William Branham completely ignores this. The February 11, 1997 edition of the New York Times stated that more Christians have died this century simply for being Christians than in the first 19 centuries after the birth of Christ. So how's that the Laodicean church age? In 2009, Christianity Today stated that it is estimated that two-thirds of all the martyrs in Christian history died in the 20th century. Is that a picture of a church that is rich, increased with goods, and in need of nothing? Is it? When you look at it carefully, the church age doctrine again falls to pieces under close examination. It, it sure does. I mean, you have Luther firmly believe in the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And according to William Branham, thus saith the Lord, he says many times that Trinitarian is of the devil. Yeah. Um, you got them calling his teachings of the serpent seed heresy. And 
if you reject the message and the messenger of your age, you're destined for hell, according to William Branham. One, one of the things that I saw, Rod, that I kind of overlooked earlier was William Branham says in Proving His Word, paragraph 94, he says that all that believe and only believe the message of their age will be saved. Yeah, yeah. And if you read the Bible, that is just not true. Absolutely. We read earlier what, what God said, that he finished the works. He didn't say there's messages and church ages coming later. He said the work was finished. Yeah, it's very clear from Scripture that the church age doctrine and this requirement to believe the message for your age, really all it was was William Branham wanting people to believe him and his message and nothing else. Rod, did you, did you ever think about this in 65? He says this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote what William Branham says. He said he did it in Noah's time. He did it in Moses' time. He did it in Christ's time. He did it in John's time, did it in disciples' time, Wesley's time, Luther's time. How could you put an end of Christ's time and continue with ages? Wasn't that the end? It's just so sad to see that he puts Christ's time in, in quotes, and he ends it at a certain point, and he, and he goes on with Wesley and Luther. So Christ had a time. I don't believe that. Christ's time is now. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's it. Uh, we were under the dispensation or under the message of Moses, under the law, uh, as, we're as Paul taught. We were under the law, which was a school teacher. Then when Christ came, he did away with the law and replaced it with the law of Christ, which is the law of love. That's how we're to live our lives, is showing the love of Christ to all of those around us, which is way, way harder than trying to keep 613 laws that we're in the Pentateuch. Um, one thing I want to touch on is when we prove <laughs> that something that William Branham taught is actually wrong, the immediate response we get from message followers is, well, if William Branham is wrong, what do you want us to believe? How about Jesus? Yeah, exactly. But assuming that we don't have anything else, that, that well, what, so what does it mean then? What does Revelation 2 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 mean if we don't believe the church ages? Well, do want to touch on this, given the fact that we we just trashed the church age doctrine by showing that it is arbitrary and has no basis in scripture. I do want to offer a couple of better interpretations to Revelation 2 and 3. When we read Revelation 1.19, it says, this was God speaking to John, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The church age doctrine overlooks the fact that the epistles to the churches or the letters to the churches in chapter two and three belong to things that are what is now. And this interpretation simply states that the letters were in fact what they claimed to be letters to the churches in Asia Minor. So they'd be similar to Paul's letters to actual churches. And we know that the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor that are mentioned in the book of Revelation were actual churches. So just as we read the book of Colossians or the book of Galatians, do they apply to the future? Of course. But in the same way that Paul's letter to the church is applied today and in every age, so that the letters that were written to the pastors of these churches, they are applicable and should be read and are a great value to us in this day. So that's one interpretation. 
Now, a second interpretation is that the seven churches are symbols of all churches down through history. And, and the contents of these seven letters are descriptive of all states of Christian churches in every period. So you look at a church and you can see kind of, oh, is this a, an Ephesian church or is this a Thyatira church? Is this a dead church, which means it's Smyrna or Sardis rather? Or is this a, uh, a rich church uh, like many are in North America that's in a state of wealth? So it basically it's a template for us. And Rod, is what you're saying, it's a template for us to look at as churches? Absolutely. It, it was seven types of churches which we are going to see and recognize. And this allows people, pastors, those who, who I mean, I know uh, a pastor quite well who describes himself as angelos, angelos. I mean, he is, he is the messenger to his church. You know, you look at this and you say, what, what we see is, is the church, in the church of Ephesus is the church in proper apostolic life and freshness. And you do see some churches like that. Today, you see some churches like that. In Smyrna, you see a church that's in conflict with the Jews. And we don't run into that so much anymore, but it certainly was prevalent uh, quite often through the first uh, several hundred years of the church. In Pergamum, you see the church in conflict with pagans. In Thyatira, you see the church in conflict with uh, civil power, uh, which might even be nominally Christian. In Sardis, you see the church in a state of decline. In Philadelphia, you see the church in a state of revival. And in Laodicea, you see the church in a state of wealth and a state of full organization, which is really bad. And these seem to comprehend all possible states of all churches at all times. I, I think we beat that one to death. I think it beat itself. It beat itself, <laughs> it beat right? itself to death. That's a yes. good way of describing it, Andrew. So, Andrew, maybe uh, just a final question. What does it mean to you to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? Well, I want to say before that, Rod, is I, I was actually a true follower of the message. I don't want people to think that I'm all like uh, puffed because I debunked anything, but because I felt like I was falling in a dream when I realized all these discrepancies. But I want message believers to to realize we're not knocking them; we're telling them to search. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you're searching, you will really find what it means to be a true follower of Jesus because you'll no longer have Branham and the message, the anti message, and it becomes a one on one relationship with Jesus. You accept his grace. There's nothing we can do good or bad that makes him love us more. Yeah. Nothing. And we share this good news of the gospel to people. I mean, it, it's so uh, lifting to tell people about God and Jesus. And it, I just show them the, the Bible. When I say the word, I mean the Bible. I don't need to eventually show them the church ages, talk to them about a prophet, a cloud. It's just them and Jesus. And it's just this relationship that I have with Jesus and it's what it means to me to be a true follower. Nothing between him and I. Amen. Amen. I believe that. Andrew, thank you very much for taking the time to email me and uh, also to take the time now in this podcast to share some of your research with us. Uh, we'd love to have you back in the future. Thanks very much. Thank you, Rod. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you're welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening.
Yeah. <laughs>